Welcome to Pastors Confidential. We're Michelle and Eric Waters. Two pastors. One podcast. Here's what we're talking about today. Good morning, love. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Kind of a busy day here at the Waters Front. You know, right after this, I... Head over to Heritage Place. My mom's uh, furniture is showing up in about another 60 minutes, and so I'll help her go get moved in. Okay. Which will be great. Are the movers going to actually bring in, like, the bed and everything, or...? Yeah, so they bring in the, the... They'll bring in the bed and set that up, and then they bring in all the boxes of furniture okay. uh, and kind of put them where we ask them to, and then okay. they leave. And okay. So for, after that, it's up to us. Yes. Yeah. But it's like a one-room deal. It's a one-room deal. So yeah. it's like moving so, into a dorm room. Uh, A large dorm room with lots of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Um, yeah. Good. Well, we had our picnic yesterday. We did. It was a wonderful picnic and great weather, too. I was worried about it. You know, I worried on the one hand that it was going to be 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. And on the other, that the heavens were about to open up and pour down upon us. But Well, that doesn't happen here. <laughs> no, but it looked like it. I mean, it looked really threatening, you know. Yeah. But no, it was a fantastic event. I mean, I, I always love that church picnic. Uh, and this year, because um, I brought my mom, I really spent the whole time up at the tables visiting with people, which is something I hadn't done before. You know, normally I kind of walk around and I I talk with the people fishing and I play, play volleyball, volleyball yeah. and you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but it was fun. It was, mm-hmm. it was really a great time. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I just love that event. I think it's uh, it just um, it kind of harkens back to the old days. You know what I mean? Mm. I, I just love it. It harkens back to the old days. Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing is you didn't even grow up in the church. So what old days does it harken back to for you? Well, you know, the fact that we have this this church community that's meeting in an Oak Grove, uh, <laughs> you know, on tables to gather together and just you yes, know, play okay. dominoes and eat and with kids like... Running everywhere, yes. You know, you got yes. the, the, old, the yes. older people are visiting and playing dominoes and the younger kids are like running around and it's just... Yes, just I had to rescue several wonderful. of these running around children yesterday. Two little boys jumped out of the little train, oh, the little no. choo-choo train that we have. Two little boys jumped out, and Miss Tiffany was not pleased. So, mm. And then they ran and hid from her. Oh, no, that's funny. Yeah, so me and Matthew kind of cajoled them back into the train, and then, then I had to ride the train because I was trying to keep them in the train, and it's like a jollo- it's like a bouncy, jouncy thing. Like a jalopy? A jalopy. That was yep. the word I was looking for, yeah. So that was funny. And then there was a little girl that needed rescuing on the kayak as well. So, all good. Yeah, it was all good. Well, I'm glad you rescued her. I mean, it wasn't rescued. Not like this was a life and death situation. Right. Not at all. There were some ants in her kayak, and oh. she wasn't pleased, <laughs> and she didn't know how to get herself back to get away from the ants. Now, that's uh, funny. Uh, pretty much that is. That is funny. Pretty much is. Okay, so that was the church picnic, and then I had to go to a fundraiser for Matthew's football. Mm-hmm. So I left that a little early, and then what else is happening? Nothing. Yeah, well, speaking of football, you and I are headed up to West Point this oh, weekend. Oh, yeah. So uh-huh. that'll be great. Yep. Uh, so I'll teach Crossways on Wednesday. You mm-hmm. teach uh, Women of the Word on Wednesday, and then the next day we head off. So. Yes. Very nice. So that will be good. Very nice. We'll see Samuel. That's right. It'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Finally. Good to spend time with him, and he told us to bring sweatshirts because it's cool up there already. I know. It's, so. probably, it's probably like jacket weather, not sweatshirt weather. It's probably even cold, 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 but we'll see. I hope so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that. Yes. Okay. Well, the thing with this episode is mm-hmm. that you covered 400 years of history in I an did. hour, and mm-hmm. I don't know what we're going to do about that on here. Well, we'll cover 400 years of history in 20 minutes. Okay. Yep. Or less. I don't even know. I have mm-hmm. nothing to offer today, but okay. Oh, you always have so much to uh, offer okay. us, hon. Okay. Yes. 
All right, so this, um, so today's lesson is about what's called the intertestamental period. Yes. That is the period between the close of the Old Testament and the and the opening of the New. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes called the silent years because God didn't send any prophets to speak. So for the previous 400 years, God had sent prophet after prophet. I think mm-hmm. there were um, 17 of them, as I remember. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for the centuries before that, God would speak through the judges and so on and so forth. But for these 400 years, uh, God never sent, God doesn't send anyone to speak until... John the Baptist appears, right. you know, uh, and then suddenly John the Baptist appears, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, so on and so mm-hmm. forth, and then and then the story picks up again. But though we call them these four, though we call these the silent years, they were far from silent. There was a lot that was going on, mm-hmm. and again, there's you know, it's a big, big historical. I mean, uh, lots of history happens. I just want people to, to keep in mind these the big point, yeah, which that's is that the center of gravity in world history shifts from the east to the west, okay. So up till this point, uh, the center of gravity has been uh, in Egypt and Mesopotamia, you know, modern-day Iraq, mm-hmm. or the uh, Syrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. Uh, but then by the time we get to the beginning of the New Testament, it's shifted to the West, uh, centered in Rome. So that's the big picture, okay. is that the center of gravity in world history shifts from East to West. To west. And so therefore, for us as Western Christians, it becomes less foreign and more familiar. Ah, I like so, it. So, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we go from the Persian Empire when the when the Old Testament closes. We're in the Persian Empire, where people have very unusual and exotic names. You know, they're uh, it's cap- the capital city in what's now modern day Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, statues of lions with the torsos of men and long beards. Very strange to us. Yes. And then by the time the New Testament opens up, you know, there's Julius Caesar in a toga. I mean, okay. it's, it's much more familiar. We get it. So there's four basic eras that go on, at, um, and it, it, these 400 years, they go from the uh, the Persian era to the Greek era to the Jewish era to the Roman era. Mm. Uh, and so we'll take a look at each one of those in just a few minutes. So uh, we, we begin with the Persian era, and not a whole lot is known about this Persian era. Um, we know we know quite a lot about the beginning of it as Nez, uh, as Ezra and Nehemiah come back and rebuild the the city of Jerusalem. Um, as you know, Esther, the the queen of, of the Persian emperor. Mm-hmm. So we know that part. But Cyrus but, wasn't he a Persian? Cyrus the Persian, right? Yes. Uh, but then you know, after that part, we don't really know what happens for about the next hundred years or so. The the Bible is silent. Okay. Um, and the Jewish nation doesn't really appear hardly in any of the documents that we still have existing. Okay. But one of the big things that does happen is um, is that uh, there's a shift in world history. So the Persian Empire um, was expanding. It was uh, till that point, it was the largest empire the world had ever known. Right. It stretched from uh, the borders of India uh, all the way to Turkey and then down to Egypt. Mm. So a massive, massive empire. Uh, and so King Xerxes the first was trying to expand his emperor even, empire even further west into Greece, and he would have succeeded, and, except for seven thousand Greeks, including famously three hundred Spartans, uh, under King Leonidas who held the, the Persians at bay for three days hmm. uh, in a pass called Thermopylae, the oh, Gates right. of Fire. Mm-hmm. And this is the, a very famous uh, famous battle near and dear to Texans. If you've seen the, the little bumper stickers that say, Molan Labe, come and take it. Mm, that's, that's, where... that's how the Greeks responded. And so when the Persians said, there's 242,000 of us, there's 7,000 of you, lay down your arms. And they said, Molan Labe, <laughs> come and take them. Okay, so yeah. yes, when Texans put that on their car, they're talking about their guns. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, but it dates. But it dates way back to it this. Dates back to this. Amazing. 
Uh, and so an incredible battle. Uh, you know, 7,000 Greeks were able to hold off 242,000 Persians for three days before they were finally overwhelmed. Persians fought their way through the mountain pass. But they had uh, bought enough time for their allies that a few months later, the Persian fleet was destroyed at the Battle of Salamis. And that was the end of it. Mm. Uh, the Persians would never again try to expand their empire west. So it's one of those turning points in history. Uh, but for those 7,000 Greeks, uh, you know, we, we, could, we could be a part of the Persian Empire today. You know, the, the hmm. history of the Western world could have been profoundly, profoundly different as just one province in a great Eastern mm -hmm. Empire. Uh, but it's not. Okay. And so that was really kind of a turning point in history. Definitely. And then from there on out, uh, the direction begins to shift west. Instead of the east be, being dominant, now the west uh, slowly becomes dominant. So about 150 years later, in the, about the, in the year 333, Alexander the Great comes storming out of northern Greece, uh, and he defeats, the uh, at that time, another Persian emperor by the name of Darius. 333 B.C. 333 yes. B.C. Yes, okay. So he defeats another Persian emperor, Darius III, mm -hmm. uh, defeats the Persians, and then he proceeds to not only conquer the Persian Empire, but then uh, keep going east. And so he, he keeps going east all the way into India, to the border of the Indus River, and then all the way up north into what is now modern-day Afghanistan, uh, Alexander the Great conquered the whole thing in the space of 12 years. Absolutely incredible. The man was a military genius. Isn't he the one that, like, when there was no more lands to conquer, he cried or something? Exactly. That's the, that's the famous story about him, is that when he saw there are no more lands to conquer, he, he wept tears, for there's oh. nothing for him to do. Is he the one with the horse named Bucephalus? Yes. Oh, wow, I'm I impressed know. you know I about know. this. Well, wow. I was a history major. Well... But actually, I learned all this when I homeschooled my children. So mm -hmm. that they love these stories, especially the Greeks and the Egyptians. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is where it becomes more familiar to us, right? Okay. Uh, Alexander the Great, um, so he, he, he ruled this massive empire from, um, from really the, uh, the Aegean and Ionian seas. So, you know, what's now modern day Yugos, uh, well, it used to be Yugoslavia, mm -hmm, yeah. Croatia, Serbia, mm -hmm. you know, all the way to India, Egypt, all the way up to Afghanistan. Uh, and so he instituted this policy called, a policy called Hellenization. Mm -hmm. So how do you rule such yeah. a massive territory? Well, he wanted to Hellenize the world. And this is from the Greek word Helena, which is the Greek word for Greece, uh, which I think is based on Helen of Troy. I was going to say, that, that, yeah, that, is that why that's called? I think, you know, okay, the, the face that Troy, launched yeah. a, thousand, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. a thousand ships, right? Um, and so Hellenization. And, the, and his idea was... Well, if I can get everybody in my empire to speak the same language, Greek, mm -hmm. and to live in the same culture, the Greek culture, and to worship the same gods, the Greek gods, uh, well, then we, we, you know, I can unite them and rule them. So he started this process called Hellenization, which will run in the background for really the rest of the the rest of Bible history, and, and which this, paved the way for the gospel to be spread. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Hellenization, uh, a, a good analogy might be to uh, to the internet. You know, there's this idea of, um, so Alexander the Great basically ruled the world, mm -hmm. and he was trying to impose this culture from the top down, kind of a cosmopolitan international culture from the top down. And just like the internet, you know, there are some great blessings. I mean, you know, the internet really connects people mm -hmm. with one another. Yep. Um, you know, news can travel quickly. Um, ideas can spread, mm -hmm. but there's some really bad things that can happen too. You know, there's a loss of culture, a loss of identity, um, crazy things can happen. So there, it's kind of this, it's, you know, if you think of Hellenization sort of like the internet, it can be good, it can be bad, there's benefits and there's curses yes. to it. Uh, another way of thinking about it would be sort of like the, the modern day movement of um, 
DEI, you know, diversity, equity, oh, and inclusion, boy. Mm-hmm. where there's this idea of, you know, on the one hand, I mean, of course, we want you yeah. know, diversity is good, and we want people to feel included, we want no one to be excluded, and we want everything to be, sure. you know, equitable, but there's also a real nasty side of it where it can yes. become a means of control. Yes. And that's kind of what Hellenization was like. Okay. It, it has a two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. So Alexander dies um, at the age of 32, mm-hmm. and his empire is broken up among his four uh, remaining, his four generals. The two who concern us are Ptolemy and Seleucus. And so Ptolemy ruled from Egypt up into Syria, and he pursued what we could think of as a soft Hellenization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, he imposed Greek culture, Greek language. Okay. But so long as people, you know, obeyed him, uh, he let them, he largely left them alone. Okay. So, for example, you know, he funded the Jewish temple. Uh, he allowed the Jewish priest to rule hmm. uh, the city of Jerusalem, kind of like the Pope in Rome. You know. Mm-hmm. So it was largely a very tolerant um, age. Okay. But then around the year 200, uh, the Seleucids take over. So, you know, there's this battle between the Greeks. And the Seleucids take over, and they they have more of a hard-edged, more of a hard-edged Hellenization to them. uh, Where Hellenization really is is not cultural, it's more of a political thing. Okay. So it's a means of control. Okay. Uh, and the shining example of that is a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth. Okay. Uh, so Antiochus the Fourth and Epiphanes means manifest. So you know the the Epiphany is of course when Jesus. It's the season when uh, when we, when we re, uh, celebrate all the ways where Jesus revealed himself right. as the Son of God, at the Mount of Transfiguration, at the baptism, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, and that well, Antiochus claimed. That he was Epiphanes. He was Zeus made manifest. Mm. And so you can imagine that an emperor who thinks he's a god uh, has got some problems. Mm. And so he imposed a real hard Hellenization on his Jewish subjects. Not only forcing them to worship the Greek gods, but then forbidding them to worship the Lord God of Israel. Mm. So he would do things like his soldiers would come in and they'd make the Jewish subjects eat pork. And oh. if they ate the pork, then they could live. If they didn't eat the pork, they'd be in prison. Oh, kind of my thing. goodness. Um, he, he, uh, he desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. So he went into the temple of Jerusalem, um, and then he put up a large statue of Zeus. And, of course, that's the first commandment, right? You know, oh. she'll have, do not make any idols. Right. Uh, so he put up a large statue of Zeus in the temple of Jerusalem, and then he had his priests sacrifice a pig on the altar. I mean, you can't possibly desecrate a Jewish wow. temple more than that. So that's oh, the abomination of that's desolation. The, uh, that's what's called the abomination of desolation, right? In the Bible, that's In what. The Bible. Yes, that's yeah. pretty bad. It's very bad. Yeah, and then Daniel talks about that. Jewish uh, Jesus picks that up later. Yeah. Um, but as you can imagine, his Jewish subjects did not take this lying down, and so that gives us that brings us to the third area, which is the era of Jewish independence. Mm. Uh, and this is what's called the Hasmonean era uh, because uh, the family that ruled was the Hasmoneans. Uh, and so there's a fellow, the first of them by the name of Matthias, and he started this revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and then one of his sons, Judas Maccabeus, mm. which means Judas the Hammer. Yes. And we have a lawyer around here called Jim Adler the Hammer. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of the same <laughs> idea. Uh, and so he really rallied the troops and they launched this guerrilla warfare uh, against the, the Greek troops, managed to drive them away, um, take over Jerusalem. Uh, and most importantly, purify the temple. So it's under Judas Maccabeus uh, that the Jews take the temple back. They find it desecrated. So they remove all the things which have defiled it. They ritually purify it. But when they go to light the menorah, they only have enough oil for one day. 
Um, but lo and behold, the oil lasts for eight days. And that's the festival of Hanukkah. Right. So, you know, our, now our Jewish neighbors celebrate Hanukkah. By the same time, we celebrate Christmas. And that's it owes its origins to this time. Okay. And Maccabees is also one of the books, isn't it? In it is. the mm-hmm. In the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. Based on we'll Ma- this guy, Judas Maccabeus. Yep. Okay. Um, so there's this... The way to think about the, the, the Jewish uh, years of independence. So Judas Maccabeus starts 100 years of Jewish independence. So for the next 100 years, from about 160 to 60 BC, roughly, uh, the Jews have this have an independent kingdom. And it st- first starts out really well. You know, it's the revolt was started by pious Jews who were horrified and scandalized that they were forced to worship these pagan gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Judas Maccabeus is like this red-blooded Jewish patriot who, you know, kind of like Davy Crockett at the Alamo, only okay. he lives, you know, he yes. manages to, to fight off the people. Okay. But then by the time you get to like the third or fourth king, things have really changed. Um, and instead of being these, um, you know, red-blooded, God-fearing patriots, they just become kind of kings almost like any other. Hmm. So that by the time you, you know, as you, as the hundred years go by, each king becomes a little bit less patriotic, a little bit less uh, fervently Jewish, yeah. uh, and more and more they just become kings who are in it for the power, in right. it for control. So, for example, they, they take the name of king, uh, mm. the title of king, which none of them should do because none of them are of the house of David. Uh, so who do they think they are? I mean, have they not read the prophets? Yeah. You know? uh, but they take the name of king. Uh, they claim to be the priests. And again, they're not in the priestly line. But they don't care. It's all about the power to them. This is the Hasmoneans still? This is the Hasmoneans, yeah. There's all this terrible uh, fighting back and forth and, you know, horrible, horrible behavior on on their part. Um, So one of the kings, for example, imprisons his mom and his two brothers. He lets his mom starve to death. He's killed. The two brothers are released from prison. His widow marries one of them. I mean, it's just, Mm. it's really kind of gross. But this finally ends around the year 63, where there's two brothers who are fighting for power. Uh, And by this time, the Romans, who over these centuries have come to power, uh, the Romans are in the area. They see an opportunity. And so Pompey the Great, Mm -hmm. who was one of the greatest Roman uh, generals of his time, Pompey the Great uh, throws his support behind one of the kings in exchange, of course, that the Romans, uh, that, that, that this king becomes a client of Rome. Okay. So then that really brings an end to the the, Jew, the era of Jewish independence and a start of the, the Roman era. So Pompey the Great comes in. Um, he conquers Jerusalem. He wants to go see the temple. And the Jews say to him, no, 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 you can't see the temple. You're a Gentile. Right. Well, if you, you know, a man named Pompey the Great isn't going to take no for an answer. So he walks into the temple, uh, walks into the Holy of Holies and finds the place is empty which completely stuns him because, of course, you know, Greeks and Romans, they have huge statues of their right. gods. And all the Jews have is this empty place. Right. The Ark of the Covenant isn't there anymore. Uh, and so, uh, but, but that that's one of those things. Again, you know, the Jews feel like, you know, their temple has been desecrated. And so, uh, and so the Roman era gets off to a, a bad start. Okay. The Roman era also gets caught up in uh, what's going on in Rome at the time. So in, in Roman history, we're at the very end of the Roman Republic, very beginning of the Roman Empire. Pompey the Great is one of the general, one of the greatest generals of his time. The other is Julius Caesar. Oh. These two men duke it out for the mm-hmm. levers of power. There's a lot of back and forth. Uh, Julius Caesar wins, right. but then shortly after he wins, Julius Caesar is assassinated by the Senate. 
And then shortly after that, Julius Caesar's uh, nephew, Octavius, uh, becomes Augustus, and he's the first of the true Roman oh. emperors. Right? Okay. While all that's going on uh, in Jerusalem, there's a, a fellow by the name of Herod. Mm. And uh, Herod's very politically astute. He throws in his lot with the right man, with Julius Caesar. Uh, he helps Julius Caesar win a key battle for control of that part of the Roman Empire. And as a result, uh, the, the Senate of Rome declares him to be the king of the Jews. And they give Herod uh, Roman troops to come and claim that kingship for himself, which he does. So he marches into Jerusalem with these Roman troops and he pacifies the place. And he goes down in history as Herod the Great. Right. And he wasn't technically a Jew. No, he was, he was only like an Idiomean or something. Right. I think his mother was Jewish and yes. his dad was, uh, was a Gentile. Yeah. So he's not at all beloved by the Jews, not only because so far as they're concerned, he's not really a Jew, uh, but also because he comes in at the head of a Roman army and they don't right. like the Romans. And then he becomes the puppet king of the Roman emperor. So, you know, all the taxes and stuff and all mm-hmm. that, all this, you know, nasty Hellenization that they don't like. He's the, the front man for it. Um, but he I, does, like, build some of the temple. He does do some things for them. Right. And so he's, he goes down as Herod the Great mm-hmm. uh, because he was a great builder. I okay. mean, he almost single-handedly built up um, the, the New Testament world as we know it. Okay. Uh, he built a city, a port from scratch. You know, uh, the, the Holy Land is kind of like, was kind of like uh, Texas back in the day. There really was no deep water port to speak of. Uh, and so he built a deep water port himself, built an artificial harbor right. called Caesarea Maritima, uh, which you and I visited. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, you know, it's, it's, I believe, a UNESCO World Heritage Site yeah. these days. It's absolutely stunning. Um, he built six or seven different cities, including mm-hmm. the city of Sepphoris, which was seven miles outside of Nazareth. So a lot of scholars believe that uh, Joseph, the father of Jesus, the stepfather of Jesus, probably at one point was employed by Herod's men. Uh, in the building of Sepphoris, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And of course, most famously, he builds the temple, or rather, he renovates yeah, the he temple. Yeah, he renovates. The temple, which by this point is 500 years old. He greatly expands the temple. He greatly renovates it. It's a 70-year project uh, and truly a remarkable, remarkable thing. So Herod did a lot of good. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he really did a lot of good, but he himself was uh, was a very bad man. Yeah. Um, you know, he was politically astute and he was ruthless. Uh, he ended up killing, I went through the whole list, but he killed his grandfather, his mother. No, he killed his grandfather, his wife, his uncle, and three of his sons. Yeah. Uh, so he's just a terrible, terrible man. Mm. And it's therefore not at all surprising why when wise men come from the East, say, saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And then they depart by another road without telling Herod where he was born, that Herod should go and kill all his mm-hmm. baby boys in Bethlehem. Because that's just the kind of man he was. Right. And it gets confusing because there's like four Herods in the in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like. You but know, we'll if, get there later. Yeah, if you study, you know, French or uh, English history, there's like you know 16 Louis. Right? Yes, correct. And you know how many King Georges and things mm-hmm. like that. And so that it's it's a it's royal the same name. Thing, yeah. They all have the same name. Yeah. It's very confusing. Right, but even during J- Jesus's life, I think there's like three different. Yeah. Three different Herods. So in the Bible, yeah. there's there's three Herods who are mentioned. There's Herod the Great, mm-hmm. who's alive at the time when Jesus is born. Herod Antipas. Um, and then there's Herod Antipas, who's the Herod of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's Herod Agrippa, who's yes. the Herod of the Book of Acts. And there's Herod Agrippa, too. Yeah, that's there's right. There's actually four. Yeah, so there's, uh, the <laughs> Anyways, so it's very we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. Later. Yes. So the, the big, you know, if, if people can just remember the big story, mm-hmm. uh, which is that in these 400 years, the center of world history shifts from east to west. Mm-hmm. 
and that there's four basic eras. You got the Persian era, the Greek era, a hundred years of Jewish independence, and then the Romans come in, and the Romans will rule for the next seven hundred years. Okay, well that's memorable. We can yeah. we can take it. That'll preach. Okay. So. Well, I don't know if it'll preach. It's a lot of history, but mm. it, it it works. I love how you encourage. It me works. So, well, yeah. it's not. There's a difference between a sermon and a history I, lesson. I, I okay, agree. there I, is. Okay. I okay. Agree. Okay. Right. Anyways, you need to go meet the moving bus so, or moving truck. So we're gonna yeah. go. We will talk to you next week. We'll talk to you next week.